Hear the word of the Lord as recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, beginning with verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Today begins our community exploration of Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know how many of you have read the first part of this. I have to say that a couple days ago I started reading it, and I probably waited a while because I didn't quite know why I was reading it in the first place. And I thought to myself, what is the purpose of reading this book? What is really being said? What is the rationale? Why, out of all of the books in the world, would this be the book that we would read? And I also thought to myself, what difference will reading this book actually make. So, because I got the luck of the draw to preach today, <laughs> I have a little freedom in what I'm about to say, and I would like to make one thing perfectly clear. Reading this book will not increase spiritual unity, nor will a strategic plan, nor will the wishes and dreams of our leadership, nor will the will of our president or its faculty nor will the pre-seminary expectations of our students. If we approach this time together in community by trying to transform this campus and this group of people into our own wishes and dreams, we will violate exactly what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would have us believe. When you read page 27, he says, Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to the genuine community. And it must be banished if genuine community is to survive. God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with this demand. He sets up laws to ensure it, and he judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. So what are we to do? Are we to rebel? Are we to refuse? Are we to retreat back to our rooms and our little clusters after chapel instead of going to the convocation? Are we to blog? Or shall we do something else? Shall we take time to read and reflect and congregate and discuss? So that even though we know that reading a book written by a man or going to a convocation cannot create spiritual unity, that maybe by doing these tasks we might have a clearer understanding of what true unity is. And maybe, just maybe, 
If we have a clear understanding of the unity that exists as brothers and sisters in Christ, our visible fellowship might in one small way reflect the underlying reality. So what have we learned so far? From our scripture lesson, we learn that Jesus wants unity. In the high priestly prayer, he prays to his Father that we would have unity, not just simply doctrinal unity, not confessional unity, not denominational unity, but a unity that transcends any unity that humanity could ever give. He says, I want them to be one as we are one. Imagine what that really means that we would have a unity that transcends human knowledge, that we would have a spiritual form of unity that is even reflective of the unity that Jesus Christ has with his Father in heaven. But how many times have we tried to create unity of the human kind? So the first thing that I've learned so far from this text in my reading is that I need to repent. I need to repent for my human wish dreams, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say. I need to repent of placing platonic ideals upon the fellowship of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to repent of my seminary expectations. Did you have seminary expectations? <laughs> I know you did. You come here thinking this is going to be a beautifully pious place, but pious in a, in a good sense. These are going to be brothers and sisters holding hands and unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. It is. It is. And you get here and what is it? It's an overload of work. It's faculty members that scare you. It's dysfunction in the classroom. It's your being afraid of speaking what you believe around your brothers because you're going to be labeled a heretic and excommunicated. It's about knowing how to pay off your bills and not getting into too much debt and hoping that you can fly under the radar. It's not really what you expected, is it? And so we need to repent when we try to form this community and shape it into our image instead of the image of Christ. You see, that's what we are. We're a body. We are tied together in Jesus Christ, not simply through institutional memberships or that our name is on the roll of the seminary student roster, but we are tied together in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And when we forget these things, he calls us to repentance so that we might return to the truth. That we might repent of our attempts to shape and mold this mystical body as if we were the artist as if we were the potter and everyone else was the clay. And I need to repent for being confused. <laughs> for confusing the difficulties that we see in our visible fellowship with the true unity that underlies our flesh. For seeing the difficulties in our visible fellowship and turning to my brother and denying him as if he were no longer in the kingdom of God. Of taking the ignorance that we have and the difficulty of articulating our faith and our differences in our music style 
and the way we read systematics and what professors we follow, and consigning him to be someone outside of the church, even when Jesus died for him and has intimately tied him to me. Who am I to deny my brother his place in the body? Who am I to deny him a place at his table? So the first thing that I've learned so far is that I have a lot of repentance to do. And the second is this, that I need to open my eyes and recognize what we're really talking about here, what Jesus is really praying for in our passage for this morning. I need to recognize that true unity, that the unity of the body of Christ is ontological, not phenomenological. And to say it in another way, the unity of the body of Christ is a reality. It is not an experience. We learn from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that even though our visible fellowship might be shaken, even though we might have difficulties articulating our faith, even though sinful behavior begins to tear us apart as a social network and as a group of people who gather together in one place, that the true unity is not based upon these things, but the true unity is based on Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. On page 30, he says, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we participate. I don't know that I always recognize that. As I look at my brothers in synod as they polarize themselves, preparing for the next convention, as we begin to divide people between conservative and liberal and missional and confessional and what other dichotomies we can think of, as we begin to divide and separate, I forget that in the end, despite our differences, that within the body of Christ, unity is perfect. That even though we might not be able to articulate it clearly, that because of Jesus and our connection to him, that we are members of the very body, and for me to say that I do not need you is to deny a part of myself, to deny a part of the body of Christ, to say that we don't need eyes or hands or feet, that I can get along just fine by myself. And I began to realize that that's where my true frustration began to lie. Not in the unity that is manifest in Jesus Christ, not in the spiritual unity that comes from Jesus and his sacrifice and the gift of faith, but I was frustrated with my inability to express that unity visibly in the community of faith. And then I began to realize that I don't think we'll ever be able to do that adequately, <laughs> at least until Jesus comes again. And finally, I realized from re reading this scripture and reading our book that I, ne I need to learn how to receive my brother. When I see my fellow faculty members, when I see the students in my class, when I see those who are walking on campus, how do I receive them? 
Do I receive them as someone who's taking up space, who's getting in my way for registration so I can't get the class I want? Am I taking them as the person who won't be quiet in faculty meetings so that they go on to 6 o'clock when I'd rather be at home watching the news? Or do I see you through Christ and see you in the way that you are seen? You see, brothers and sisters in the Lord, we don't have an immediate connection with one another, at least in a spiritual sense. We are always connected through Christ. And it is through Christ that we have become one. And when we forget this thing and we approach each other as simply humans in the flesh, as people in the world, then our true fellowship, our visible fellowship, difficulties will begin to arise. But what would it be like if God could give us new sight? What would it be like if I could go to the eye doctor and get a set of lenses so that when I see you, I see who you are in Jesus? I recognize the underlying reality in spite of our divisions. I see you as part of the body the body to which I myself am connected as well. And I've also realized that not only do I not receive my brothers in Christ, but like the Israelites, I don't receive my bread with joy. I make complaining and sarcasm an art. If I could bottle it, I would be rich. But is that what community is about? Where is the joy for our daily bread? Have we got tired of the manna of Lutheranism? (laughs) Have we got tired of eating the same old fare? Are we looking for something new? Are we going to our leaders as they went to Moses demanding something more? Are we simply too American (laughs) and too entitled, bringing our own expectations and throwing them at the feet of God? We have so much to be joyful for. Even if you haven't eaten this morning, you will at the table of the Lord. You will receive spiritual nourishment from Jesus Christ. You will participate in the body of the Lord in a very real and palpable way. You are sitting among those who are believers of Jesus Christ, who are connected to him. You will be with one another forever in heaven. You have, through Jesus overcome the world. Jesus prayed that we might experience his joy and that it might be complete. Why do we fail to receive one another in that joy as well? At first, I didn't want to read this book. I really didn't think that it was going to make a difference. I thought it was just a top-down way of getting me to obey and behave But you know what I realized? Maybe all along, I've been missing the point. Maybe the fact wasn't that we needed to rebuild the unity of this community. But maybe the truth was that I failed to recognize the unity that's already there. In Jesus' name, amen.